So we are continuing our worship again through God's Word, and, and we are, uh, there, our series for this Christmas season is Witness His Majesty, and so we are, are looking at the Christmas story from, from second-level characters. Um, and, and these are ones, again, that the people that were likely involved, I mean, ones, now our character today, of course, is, is one that, that was directly involved, and we see his, uh, Joseph is the one we're looking at today. Again, last week we looked at the innkeeper's son, and as we, we look at, at these different second-level characters, as we take look at the Christmas story from a slightly different perspective than we typically do. Uh, the reality is that the Bible doesn't give us all the details of the Christmas story, in fact, two of the four Gospels don't even mention the Christmas story at all. Mark and John just skip right over it and go straight into uh, Jesus' adult life. Matthew and Luke both give us details uh, that the other one leaves out. And, and again, we, over time, we put them all together and filled in the holes to arrive at what we know today as the traditional Christmas story. Again, there are lots of perspectives and characters and interactions that just simply are not presented in Scripture. Um, but yet all of them truly witness the majesty of the Christ child. And this is true regarding every aspect of Jesus' life, not just his birth. And so as we approach the Christmas story this year, I want to just challenge all of us to say, can we look at it with fresh eyes? Can we dive deeper into exactly uh, all of the, the ramifications that the, the Christmas story brings into our lives and what it truly means to follow Jesus at a deeper level? Um, as we... Uh, focus today, again, you can see your outline that our focus today is on Joseph, and, and you might be wondering, well, why, why are we looking at Joseph as a second-level character? Because obviously he's pretty prominent in the story, um, which is true. I mean, he is very prominent in the story. Um, however, his, his footprint in Scripture is actually very small, um, which is why we are looking at him as a second-level character. In fact, I just invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 1. Um, that is where, again, we see the story of Joseph and his role in it. Again, uh, Luke uh, doesn't, doesn't focus on Joseph. Luke focuses more on Mary. Um, Matthew focuses more on Joseph, and that's where we get the most information uh, you know, from, from Scripture about Joseph. But as you open to Matthew chapter 1, I just um, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up with me. If you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. But as we open up Matthew chapter 1, you'll notice the way that this gospel starts is with a list of names. It's a genealogy. And this, this starts out, again, establishing the, the line, right, um, that goes from Abraham, and that's what we see in, in the second verse is where the genealogy starts, and then it goes through just all of these names, these fathers and sons, uh, for all, a whole bunch of generations, where we end up then in verse 16, where it says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. And, and as we see, again, in their culture, that's the way that genealogy was followed. It was through the male of the family. And so that's why Matthew focuses on Joseph more than he does Mary, because he starts by establishing this genealogy, this, this uh, ancestral line that leads to the Messiah. Now, again, we, we think, why is this important? Why does Matthew start with this genealogy? Um, well, because, again, if there are all kinds of prophecies, and we see that about the, the ancestral line of the coming Messiah, and this was one of the proofs that Jesus truly was the Messiah that was foretold. 
Um, there's lots of prophecies, and we look through, again, these, these lines. There's some, some pretty familiar names in this genealogy. There are also some other ones that probably that don't appear anywhere else in Scripture. Um, but yeah, as we look through it, we, we realize, um, even as we see the account of Matthew, that, that Joseph, um, after Matthew chapter 2, so we see him in the genealogy, we see these dreams that are described, in fact, uh, Matthew describes three different dreams, uh, very significant dreams that Joseph has that, that bear um, a major events of the Christmas story. But after Matthew chapter 2, Joseph basically disappears from Scripture. They, we don't see him anymore. He's not mentioned. He's not brought into the story. Uh, in fact, Mary is mentioned several times, multiple times in all of the Gospels, but not Joseph. The, the last time that Jesus is mentioned in any scripture is in the Gospel of Luke, um, when there is the account when Jesus is 12 years old. And in fact, even there, it just addresses them as, as his parents. It, it, it doesn't address Mary by herself. So we know that Joseph was present at then. And after that event, when Jesus is 12 years old, Joseph is never mentioned again. Now, of course, we all want to ask why. Right? What happened to him? Um, well, the reality is we don't know what happened to Joseph. Scripture doesn't tell us. We can even go back through history and see, and again, he just disappears out of, out of all of the stories and the narratives surrounding Jesus and his life. Um, so, of course, we, just like we do with everything, we like to, to fill in the holes and kind of come up with our own theories. And uh, the most common uh, Biblical scholar theory or assumption is that Joseph died sometime in that 18-year gap between Jesus' 12th birthday and time when they got left in Jerusalem to, to his public ministry. Um, and again, that's probably most likely. Um, and, and yet there is, again, this 18-year gap in the gospel stories, and somewhere in that time, um, Joseph disappears from all narratives. So we are going to look at Joseph, though, because, because biblically he is a second-level character. Outside of, of the birth story in Matthew, we just don't know a lot about him. Uh, with that said, though, is, is he is obviously very significant in the Christmas story. Um, so with that, we are going to read uh, this first account where Joseph kind of gets thrust into the middle of the Christmas story. And so we are going to look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. So Matthew 1, picking up at verse 18. It says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, as we read this account, as we see this is the first, like I said, of three very significant dreams that Joseph has. 
in regards to his role in the Christmas story. But as we read this, for, and, and, and again, we know Joseph's role. We know that, again, he takes Mary. He's with her in the, at, the, at the birth. And, and again, they get married. We know all of these things. We know they have more kids later because we know that, again, Scripture tells us as well as historical record, right, that he had siblings. Um, and so w- with that said is, is let's step back, though, for a moment and let's step into Jesus' or um, not Jesus' shoes, into Joseph's shoes. Think about his life, I mean, where he was at this point. And we, we can see, even in this brief description here, that Joseph was painted into a very tough corner. Right? Joseph had his life planned out, right? He, 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 he had his dreams, he had his plans, right? And, and in fact, his life was going well, right? I mean, he was a successful tradesman, he had a, a girl, right? He had his faith. Right? And things were going well. And then he gets this really odd curveball thrown his way. Right? And when his fiancée turns up pregnant. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about that situation. And I, just like Joseph, would have had no idea what to do. Right? And he was faced with this hard question. Right? And just as the scripture tells us, right, that he was contemplating what to do next. <laughs> now, again, obviously Joseph knew his part, right? He knew it wasn't his. And also think about that, right, that he was the only one that knew for sure it wasn't his. Right? As you sit back and think about this, this really hard situation that Joseph's put into. And, and, and as we think about this, we're going to watch this video of this portrayal of Joseph and, and of, of the, the decision that he was faced with. All right, old friend. Let's put some hinges on you. She has been on my case for a week now about you. You know that, don't you? Oh, yes. What would we do without her, huh? Mm. Mary. And to think, when it comes to Mary, I was asking a totally different question just a little while ago. What was I going to do with her? I was just trying to understand everything, but what was there to understand? I mean, she was pregnant. She'd say over and over and over to me again, it's not what it seems. But I knew it didn't matter. It was just a matter of time before the whole community would start to question things. I started questioning who she'd been with. All my friends thought I'd been duped. looks, the glares around town, the rumors, so many rumors, and it was all justifiable, every bit of it, because who is going to believe the story that we had to tell, an angel, oh, ah, mmm, I would 
go to her house, her parents' house. I would go to her parents' house, and we'd sit on the floor away from windows, away from looks. And I would just say, Mary, tell me again, word for word, tell me what the angel said. And she would say the exact same thing every time. It was as if it was just seared into her. For he will be called Son of the Most High God. That's what the angel said. <laughs> An angel. You'd think these calluses wouldn't grab a splinter after all these years. But sometimes the right one manages uh, to get through. Hmm. I guess it's like that dream I had. Would every bone God built me with, doubted Mary? God sent an angel to me to get through. Oh, yes. Now you get to do what you do best. Now you have two jobs, all right? Keep people out or let people in. Hmm. I guess that's it. When God stands at the door and knocks, we either keep them out or we let them in. These are the only two options. It took everything. Everything to let you in. But there is not a day that goes by that I am not grateful. see this portrayal of Joseph and as he reflects upon the decision that he was forced to make in that those last statements right rings in our ears of when God stands at the door and knocks we either keep him out or we let him in these are the only two options again we see you know as he reflects in the video right he He's so glad he let God in, but it took a lot to get through. You know, I think we, we can resonate with that, can't we? We know that, that we know that God has plans for us. We know that God wants to be active in our lives. We know that he wants a deeper relationship with us, and, and yet we are still faced with that choice every single day. Do I let God in, or do I keep him out? But yeah, I mean, again, this isn't just a salvation thing. This is like... I mean, obviously, we have that decision that we choose to let God in for the first time when we fully surrender our lives and, and pray and accept Christ as our Savior. That's when we join the journey of faith, but, but we still face that same decision every day of, of when we're in the journey, right? Do, do I let God in more, or do I just keep him at a safe distance? Because 
we know what Joseph also knew. Right? We know that, that, that surrendering your life to God will make you appear crazy to the unbelieving world. That surrendering your life to God will make you appear crazy to the unbelieving world. And that was true for Joseph, absolutely. Right? It's still true today. Right? If we truly surrender our life to God, then our lives will appear crazy to the unbelieving world. Have you really thought about that? I mean, just step back again for a moment and think about what does the Christian life look like to the unbelieving world? Right? If, if we're truly surrendered to God, what does the Christian life look like to the unbelieving world? I mean, can you really have a real relationship with a God that you can't see or touch? That's crazy. I'm going to give up an entire morning of my short weekend to go to church and listen to someone talk forever and sing love songs to Jesus? Sounds pretty crazy. I'm going to say a prayer in my mind and believe that God actually hears me and even cares what I have to say? That's crazy. I'm going to study a book about a bunch of old dead guys over and over again and claim it helps me in my life. That's crazy. I'm going to take 10% off the top of my income and give it away with no strings attached. That's crazy. I'm going to commit myself to a sexual ethic of purity, both as a single person and as a married person, just because God tells me to. I'm going to use a week of my valuable vacation time to fly to a foreign country and help people that I've never met and I can't even talk to in the same language and expect nothing in return. That's crazy. All of these things that I've just listed off that, that seem very crazy to the unbelieving world, all of these things are literally just describing what the average believer and follower of Jesus does. These are all the most basic things of our faith that Scripture tells us to do as a follower of Jesus. And, and these things seem like nothing in comparison to what God asked Joseph to do. Right? I mean, he knew more than all of us know, right? That, that surrendering my life to God is going to make me appear crazy to everybody else. Right? And yet... The angel showed up, and, and that's exactly what he was told to do. I mean, think about the rumors that were flying around Nazareth. Joseph intended to do the only thing that he, he could do to protect himself. I mean, that, that was the decision he made first, right? That's exactly what the text tells us. I mean, it, it, again, the text speaks to his character. He says he was a good man. He didn't want to... To, to smear Mary, so he was just going to quietly dismiss her and not go through with the marriage. And again, that's what would have protected him, right? That's, that, that's, that was the, the, the most logical thing for him to do, because remember, there was only one person who really knew the truth. Well, two, I guess, right? Mary and Joseph. Because nobody else was going to believe the story that they had to tell. 
right? And so he, he, again, he chose, right, not to smear her, but to protect his own reputation. And that was the decision he had made until the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And he tells him to make the opposite decision. He tells him to stay with Mary, to take her as his wife, and to claim the baby. Again, that's, that's one of these things, right? I mean, he didn't just take her as his wife, but he claimed the baby as his own. That's actually exactly what the angel told him to do. Notice in verse 21, if you look back in verse 21, the angel says, you are to name him Jesus. Right? In fact, this, this is a very significant thing because in the Jewish culture, the father had the naming rights especially of the firstborn son. Right? And that's what the angel tells him to do. He says, you are to not just take Mary as your wife, but you are to name him Jesus. And then as we continue to read the verses, right, this is a part of the story that we don't explain to our kids when we tell them the Christmas story. Right? We all know how you get pregnant. Okay, we all know the standard of sexual purity in Scripture, especially in the Jewish culture. And by Joseph naming the baby, he is claiming the child as his own. And he accepted all of the shame that comes with it. How many people do you think believed the real story? Probably very few. And yet, even amidst all of this, as we, we look at the, this, how crazy this was of what God was asking Joseph to do, we also see that, that Joseph got to this place in verse 24, where it says, he did as angel of the Lord commanded. All in. Right? He did as the Lord commanded. He fully surrendered, not just his, his faith, right, but, I mean, his life, his reputation, and everything that came from that moment forward, right? Because in that moment, when he did what the Lord commanded, everything, every detail of his life changed, and he could never go back. Again, as we look at this, this story, look at, at everything that Joseph was faced with, we realize that God took Joseph down a specific journey to get him to this point. Again, this was not an easy place, right? I, I mean, again, we, we can all identify with this, can't we? Right? Of what it means to really follow Jesus. And, and know that there are some crazy things that I have to do in my life and, and, and changes that need to be made. And yet Joseph got to this place. God, God had prepared his heart. God had, had brought him to this, to this moment, right, when, when he could fully surrender and say, God, I understand what it's going to take, but I'll do it because you asked me to, because you told me to. Now, as we look back in Matthew 1, and we, we see, again, this genealogy that Matthew starts with, we see that it, it, again, ends with Joseph, and we know that, right? That Mary and Joseph, being a son. Look, but look back here at verse, uh, verse 2. 
where, where does it start? Now, it, it starts here with a very familiar name in Scripture, right? It starts with Abraham. And it says that Abraham was the father of Isaac. And then Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And, and again, we've, we've seen this before as we study different books, right? This, the, that the God of the Bible, right, is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, this, these are, are the names. Again, this is where the story starts, right? Where, where God chooses and establishes his nation and, and move through this. Now, when we look at Abraham, right, this, this, this common, familiar name that's here, we also learn that Abraham, just like Joseph, was asked to do some crazy things for God. Okay, but Abraham, just like Joseph, okay, had to do uh, some really crazy things. There, there's lots of backstory with Abraham, stuff that we just don't have time to go into, but God promised that he would father a nation, um, but he and his wife, Sarah, could not have kids. And so, again, they, they walked together, like, God, if you're going to do that, you've got to do a miracle. And then, so fast forward many years, and God gives them their son Isaac um, when Abraham is 100 years old. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine starting a family at 100. In fact, we questioned whether we wanted to start over with Claire in our 40s, right? To say, so he gets this son, his first son, when he's 100. And, then, and so, again, it's, it's miraculous. Right? And then I want to turn to Genesis 22. So flip, flip with me back to Genesis 22. This is where we find, again, the story of Abraham. And this is where we find, again, verses... Uh, 1 through 18 is where the craziest thing that God asked Abraham to do. Okay, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, he called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, and he saddled his donkey and took the two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped the wood for the fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on, on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it, and then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice, and at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and he sacrificed its burnt offering to place in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, uh, it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld your, even your son, your only son, I swear by my, my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, 
like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and, and through your descendants, the nations of all earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Again, as we read this account, this, this crazy account, right, of, of God um, telling Abraham to do this crazy thing, to sacrifice his only son, and, and, and he, he goes through and he does it, and, and we see here that this is very crazy, right? And I just want to be clear, I don't believe that God's telling any of us to sacrifice our children. In fact, now, again, he, he, that's what he told Abraham, but notice that, that this really was, was not about um, his son at all. This was, this was a test of Abraham's faith. Again, that's exactly what it tells the very first verse, right? Abraham, or Genesis 22.1, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Again, as we think about this, and, and again, the, the, the craziness that God asked even of Abraham, and, 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 and to say, like, does God test us? Does God test our faith? Does does he test our hearts, right, to know if he can trust us with more responsibility, with the next thing? Like, like again, God does test us to say, how crazy will you get for me? Right? And, and again, we, we always constantly have to be asking that question, okay, is this, is this a test or is this a temptation? Right? Again, and that's a question that we all have to ask in our faith all the time, right? Is this a test or is this a temptation? Right? Because that will dictate, again, our, our next move. But again, in this, we see, we, again, Abraham knew this was a test because he got this audible voice from God. And, and, and you know, so many times, again, we, we have to trust God in that moment. Right? And even when we, when we see this situation with Abraham, right, this, just this, this picture makes a lot of sense. Right? When God is saying, just trust me, just surrender, just hand it over. Right? But yet, our, our response is, but, but, but I love it. Do I really have to do that? That's crazy, God. And yet, do we, do we trust God, right, that he has a better plan? And the reality, again, as we bring up this story, um, and again, there's a lot there. There's a lot more that we can unpack. There's a lot that we don't, just, just don't have time to go into. But, but as we look at this story, we realize right, that Abraham passed the test of his faith with radical obedience. Again, he had the strong enough faith in God to know that if God was asking him to do these crazy things, that God could figure it out. Right? Again, this test wasn't about Isaac at all, or even about Abraham's actions. It was all about Abraham's heart. Right? And just like we always see in Scripture, it always comes back to our heart. Right? And as we, we see this, again, that, that we see where God brought Abraham. We see this journey that God took him on in, in verse 14 that we just read. It says, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And again, I don't know what mountain God's brought you to, but guess what? If you're on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. That is still true today. Right? I mean, again, look at the journey that God took Abraham on. Right? Look at the journey that God took Joseph on. Again, the, the bookends of the genealogy of Jesus in the beginning of Matthew were, were both molded by God through unique faith journeys that he helped fulfill the ultimate mission of God, which was to save the world through the Messiah. 
Right? And these are, again, just the first name and the last name. As we look at that, we can look through the whole list, and we can find all kinds of crazy things that God did with all of these people on this list. But yet both of their lives are a witness to the majesty that comes with God's plan. Right? When they fully surrendered their lives and their hearts. And this is the same is true for all of us. The life of every believer should be a witness to the majesty of God's plan to save the world. And that's what the Christmas story is really about. And again, we can learn from, from Abraham and from Joseph and from all the different names on this genealogy right, that your faith journey will be unique. All of our faith journey is different. It's going to be unique. But the key to moving forward is the same for every believer. It's radical obedience. And that obedience starts right, with receiving Christ as our Savior. Because we know that we cannot save ourselves, that we need a Messiah, and that's why God sent his son. That's what we celebrated when we took communion today, right, of acknowledging that he was the, the Messiah that God had sent. But you think about your life and your faith and your journey, and you think, can you get to the same place that Abraham and Joseph got to? Right, as we see Abraham, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. For Joseph, right? When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Right? And, and we, we see that God took them on these journeys to get them to this place. So what about your faith journey? What is God asking you to be obedient to today? What is God telling you to do? Again, and how do you know that it's God? Hey, Abraham was told through an audible voice. Hey, Joseph was told directly by an angel through a dream. I wouldn't mind either one of those, honestly. Right? But the reality is that God communicates in all kinds of ways. I've never experienced either one of those, but I, you know... It's fine, however God wants to talk, but yet God speaks to all of us all the time. And yet, if we are obedient to the things that God has already told us to do, then we will hear from God. Right? And it might not be an audible voice, and it might not be an angel in a dream, but we will hear from God. In fact, that's what Romans 12, 2 tells us. It gives us the starting point. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, to hear from God, to know his will for you, what's the first step? The first step is don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Guess what? That means you're going to appear crazy to the unbelieving world. He said, don't do what they do. Right? Don't, don't copy the world because it's going down the wrong road. Right? And as we already know that to, to follow Jesus, right, will, will make you appear crazy to everybody who doesn't. And that's the first sign that you're on the right track, by the way. Right, if the unbelieving world thinks you're crazy because of your faith, then you're on the right track. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But obey God. And then you will know his will for you. 
So as we see this, again, what's the lesson that we learn from, from Joseph, right, from Abraham? Right? Which brings us to, to the, the question that we are all faced with. Are you willing to lay down your dreams of your life and trust God with the big dreams that he has for your life? Right? God had a completely different plan for Joseph than the one he expected. Right? And yet he was able to fully surrender himself, to lay down his dreams, Right? His life, it was going well, and he just accepted what God told him to do, and he went in a completely different direction, and he let God in. He didn't push him out. And again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, right? but if you've never received Christ as your Savior, don't push him out anymore. Right? Because receiving Christ as your Savior will change everything in your life. Right? But you'll also know God's will for you. Right? And I would rather look crazy to the world and, and praise and thank by my God right, than the other way around. Right? And, and as we learn that, again, this, this is the basic question that God asked Abraham about his firstborn son Isaac. This is also the question that God was asking Joseph concerning his soon-to-be firstborn son Jesus. The circumstances were, uh, are, were different but the dreams that God had in mind were bigger than either of these men could ever imagine. Both Abraham and Joseph walked through the door when God came knocking. Right, they opened it to God. They laid their dreams down on the altar at the, the feet of Jesus, and they followed where God led them. And the question is posed to you this morning. Are you willing to lay down your own dreams at the foot of the cross? And surrender your life to Jesus, either for the first time in salvation or, or every decision every day when you get up to continue to follow Jesus and to move forward in your faith. Right? And, and you will appear crazy, but it's worth it. That was raising me my final thought this morning, and it comes from Revelation 3.20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. And again, this is an invitation from Jesus. Will you let me in? And this is an invitation to a deeper relationship. And he might ask you to do some crazy things, right? But will you be with him? Again, I don't know what the next step of your journey is, but I hope that you will take it. Again, if you have never received Christ your Savior, right, then open the door of your heart. If you have... Right, will you be obedient to whatever God's asking you to do? Will you know his will and will be radical obedience to that will? Lord God, that's our prayer today. Lord, that you would be magnified. And Lord, we thank you for sending your son. God, for living us in this life, for dying in our place, for rising again on the third day, so we can be saved. God, so that we can be set apart as holy. God, that our lives can be different than the world. And Lord, we, we thank you that you save us, that you transform us. God, even that you ask us to do crazy things. Because, God, we know that, that it's, it's out of love and that you want the best for us and it's ultimately better for us if we follow your will. And, God, I pray as we go this week that we'll truly live out our faith. God, and that by living out our faith, by taking the next step in our journey, that we will show this world who you really are. God, we thank you for saving us, for transforming us, for the incredible gift of the Messiah. 
Lord, help us, especially through this Christmas season, Lord, as we live our faith to show this world how significant this child really is. God, that you're not asking us to do anything that's not beneficial to to this world and even to ourselves. And we thank you for that, God. We surrender ourselves to you. And we commit to living our faith every day, showing this world who you are. Guide us as we go this week, as we represent you well as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.